it's completely different now. <laughs> but you know, I really love it because there's an overlap between professional and personal life because I really love what I'm doing. So it doesn't matter if it's weekend or late at night. If you enjoy what you're doing, that's that's easy and that recharges me. Yes. So it's really different. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Chaba Tote. We were contacted about the interview by Chaba's book promoter and, as it turned out, Chaba and Joe had sort of been connected before via Engage for Success, the national movement around employee engagement. Chaba is a British-Hungarian entrepreneur, researcher and speaker based in the UK. He is founder of ICQ Global, a people development organisation with licensed partners in 30 countries. Chubba is the developer of the multi-award-winning global disc model and the best-selling author of the Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times hybrid book, published with Marshall Goldsmith. He has 15 years of experience in setting up startups, working with Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, entrepreneurs and certifying over 60 coaches and consultants globally. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Chubba Tort of ICQ Global. Welcome, Chabad. Lovely to speak to you today. Thank you so much for having me. So start by telling us who you are, what you do and where you do it. Right. Um, originally, I'm from Hungary and I came here for a summer, but that was 16 years ago. And this is where I started my own company, which was born pretty much out of frustration and pain, like the best solutions usually. And in a nutshell, we teach uncommon sense which is pretty much a mindset that allows people to see the same situation from different perspectives so they can make better decisions. And also they can choose to respond instead of just reacting so they get the best possible outcome. Ooh, and where are you based? Brighton in the UK. And I'm from home or in an office? Right now <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's been an interesting question, not for the last uh, nine months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would, would you, so you wouldn't normally be at home? No, we have an office as well, but it's good to have the option. And yes, usually I'm at home or traveling or I used to travel a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you said that the, the business came about through um, some frustration, um, which, as you say, is, is quite often how these things happen and, um, if you do some analysis, probably the businesses that work the best 
do start in that way rather than just coming up with a, a random idea yeah. and trying to make it stick. So tell us a bit more about how that happened. So I studied international management at Sussex and my dissertation was about the implications in Eastern and Western European joint ventures. So it was pretty practical and I wanted to compare the Hungarian managers with the Western Europeans. And as soon as I finished, I started my own company, which was a restaurant booking site. You know, you book a table, we get the money. That's the business model, but it was much more exciting than that. <laughs> we started with 35 restaurants here in Brighton. And then in one year, we had 5,500 all over the UK. And it became a joint venture with a software company. Wow. Okay, so on paper, everything made sense. We were getting the results, but I couldn't work with the other CEO who was French. And I'm not saying that that was the real reason but something was wrong. So we had to get out of the business. We sold the shares, it's still online, but we are not involved anymore. And this is when I started my research. I didn't understand how come that was the exact topic of my dissertation. That department itself is number one in the world in its category. I had years of experience, but I couldn't put that theory into practice. Something was wrong. And I wanted to find out what. So I got certified in a lot of different things and I wanted to work with the people who created the intercultural field, the behavioral models, and I wanted to find a solution. So the result of that research is a framework called Global Disk, which is the blueprint of why people think and behave differently. And it's now available in 33 countries. We work with the government in New Zealand, some Fortune 500 companies, and we have licensed partners in, in several countries. Plus, we work with universities as well. Wow. <laughs> so all sorts of questions sort of fall out of that for me. And I, I suppose even just the first one is not many people go and study and then like leave university or college or wherever and start a successful business. And then even fewer people start a second <laughs> successful business. Well, where do you think that came from for you? I mean, I don't give up. I used to do martial arts for long. I used to be national champion in jiu-jitsu. It's, it's something that I, I really love. Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's always a solution. I just have to find it. I think it's our responsibility to carry on. And instead of blaming other people and criticizing them, we have to take responsibility for our own growth. And usually this is where you find the solution. And this mm -hmm. is what happened. And it turned out that lots of people have the same problems. So now a lot of them are looking for a solution. Mm. That's how I started. Mm. So let's, let's focus on sort of this company. <laughs> um, so how did you start again? So you, you, you'd done one thing and then you, you started to do something completely different. You, you, you studied because that clearly was sort of a bit of a stepping stone to do that. How did that go from that to where you are now? It's a never-ending journey. I mean, I graduated last month again. So, you know, <laughs> it's... It's a never-ending story. There's always something new to learn. And the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. And, and that's sometimes frustrating. But the point is that my research showed that around 95% of companies buy and sell people solutions created in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the people who answer the questions were working without internet, EU, and cheap flights. And there's nothing wrong with that because we love our great-grandparents, but we have really different challenges. Mm but we are still using those solutions to address the new challenges. And if you look at the statistics, that 89% of new hires fail within 18 months because they cannot fit in, 75% of people leave managers. You know, there, there's a lot. The companies spend more and more on the same solutions and they're expecting different results. Mm. 
technically they are getting them because the statistics are getting worse. <laughs> but instead of trying it harder, they should realize that the world changed completely. Therefore, the solutions need to be up to date as well. Mm, mm. I love, love that concept. In fact, I was interviewing somebody on uh, the Engage for Success radio show the other day, and uh, we were talking about you know being a manager and what you needed to learn and so on. And I did spend some of the interview, no disrespect to the person I was interviewing, because as you say, it's, it's sort of everywhere, just thinking you know, we talk about the same stuff all the time and it never seems yeah. to change. And, you know, we said in the interview how engagement levels, if anything, they're definitely not imp- increasing. They, they might even yeah. be going down. <laughs> um, exactly. and, and, and yet, you know, we, there's a lot of emphasis on leadership, engagement, everything. And there, and there always has been. So, so talk, talk to us about the, the, what needs to be different. What, so your, your research and, and what you do in your organisation that is that new way of, of working with leaders. I don't know if it's new, but it, ha- it can be better. So if you look at the research, 60 to 80% of all problems in a company stem from strained relationships between employees. So it's not that they are not good enough. It's the different perspectives clash. And the top three reasons are clash of values, clash of personalities, and poor leadership. And all three of them stem from the same source the lack of understanding of why people think and behave differently. So it makes sense to focus on that instead of, employee engagement programs and policies. And it's not instead of it. So sometimes there's a misunderstanding because right now, at least the companies got to the point where they think that happy people make more money. That's the basic concept. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter how we phrase it. That's the underlying idea. So they introduce a lot of employee engagement programs and some of them are pretty lazy because they give people a spa treatment, a free lunch. (laughs) <laughs> which is fantastic but fresh fruit on fridays <laughs> <laughs> exactly but then when you come back from the spa and you are full because you had your free lunch and you still cannot stand your colleagues your <laughs> clients irritate you and you hate your boss you're going to be even more pissed off so you know that's about treating the symptoms not the root cause of the problem yes and that's how we have to focus on that so the more you understand yourself the more you understand others the more synergy you can create, the less conflicts you have, the more trust you enable. And that is the goal. Yes. Yeah. So how does the process work um, with, with what you do? I mean, I think about some of the other um, uh, tools that I've used with organizations to, to sort of look at similarities and differences and enable communication and, and everything. I'm sort of particularly interested in what what the process is and how, how you make it stick because i think so many organizations sort of create this this program around whatever it might be whether mm-hmm. it's you know something that works or doesn't work um but it is it's still flavor of the month quite often Those, yeah. you know, a lot of organizations don't continue with that knowledge that they have but how do you do how do you work with organizations how do you keep that going fully agree with you and that's the problem is something is too complicated people are not going to use it mm-hmm. if you have a framework a solution for every problem which one are you going to practice enough times to master it yes none of them and that's a problem but it's all about the repetitive learning so for example around 70 percent of fortune 500 companies use disk or something similar a behavioral model and that is the most widely used behavioral model in the world as well so technically now this is what we can use we can introduce the topic of cultural intelligence using the language of disk So that's already repetitive learning. We speak the language they understand and we can build on what they already know. And that is a huge advantage because that's the foundation. 
understanding other people, understanding yourself. And that's how we create synergy. You cannot just rely on common sense and good intention because it backfires. The golden rule sounds amazing. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Fantastic. But three out of four people are significantly different. So relying on common sense and the golden rule can be naive. At its worst, it's selfish. Demanding common sense means that, please, come to the same conclusion as me, even though you have a completely different background, values, and psychological needs. doesn't matter. If you agree with me, I like you. If you don't, there's a problem. Yeah. So, so you talk about uncommon sense, don't you? What do you mean by that? If you look at, for example, cultural differences as clashes of common senses, then you can remove this illusion of separation and superiority. Because, for example, let's assume that we have a disagreement, you and me. Then the default position is that if you know that you are right, then it's obvious that I'm wrong. <laughs> this is how most people think. So if there's no psychological safety and trust between us, then obviously we have to protect our ego and then we have to convince the other person that we are the smart ones and the other one is not. I win, you lose. So diversity is just the potential for success or disaster. It depends on how much you understand yourself and others. But once you have this uncommon mindset and you understand that even though we have a disagreement, I know that you think that you are right. And I'm sure it makes sense from your perspective. So I can ask you the right questions. What can you see that I cannot? What do you know that I don't? If we are able to see this and we are able to see the same situation from different perspectives, we can make a better decision. And that's how we can turn diversity into synergy. Otherwise, it turns into painful liability. And this is what we can notice. Mm. So that's what we focus on, psychological safety and cognitive diversity. So your tool, is that used across the board? Is it for sort of recruiting as well as development and team building and all that sort of thing? Yes, because the underlying concept is pretty much the same. It doesn't matter if you talk about leadership or customer service or sales. You have to be able to understand who you are, what you stand for. And also the other person, you can, you can connect their highest values and their vision to your message. And that's how you influence people. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is me getting all excited about this um, from a sort of engagement point of view, rather than necessarily my power to live more. <laughs> but I'm intrigued to know how, so, so you have a tool that can be used to ensure that you do have a, a, a sort of a, a group of people with uncommon sense so you, you do have diversity but the challenge is still getting people to understand that you've got to create that diversity because we we tend to want to recruit people like us don't we exactly and then i can show you a lot of case studies where an international team is much more homogeneous than a random local team and right. you know that's homophilic diversity that we like and trust people who are like us inside Diversity is pretty cool until somebody disagrees with us. (laughs) After that, not so much. Yes. So that's exactly what you described. So that's the reason why we have to create psychological safety and they have to understand what is the benefit of diversity and how can you make it work. Now, here's the problem that the companies read about diversity and inclusion and often they think it's pretty much like synonyms, but they're not. So they think that the more diversity, the better it is for the business. And that's not exactly true. So every time we have a client who who says, oh, we want to increase diversity, I always say, please don't. And I know it sounds controversial, but I said, aim for inclusion first, psychological safety, because if you get that right, then diversity is going to increase as well, but not the other way around. 
Yes. And also, if you do it the other way around, almost it becomes hard before you've even started and then you don't get to the other end. But there are two different sides to that, because for quite a few companies, the diversity is pretty much a PR and marketing tool. Yes. So we look different. They employ a full range of skin colors. They take a picture and they look good. But what if all of those people think just like you? Mm. Then you have the same tunnel vision as a team, just like as an individual. What if they are really different people, but the environment is not inclusive, so they still have to conform to the norms? What was the point? You lose the power of diversity and you created a lot of frustration and tension within the team. So that's the reason why we can focus on cognitive diversity as well, which is the only deep layer of diversity that has proven benefit. Mm. Mm. but you still have to make it work. You cannot rely on common sense because it doesn't feel right. The bigger the mindset gap is between what is natural to you and what is normal around you, the more draining it is, the more energy you lose. Yeah. And often you don't even know why, but it just feels wrong, but you still have to do it. But for how long can you suppress your needs? For how long can you go against your values? Mm. It's going to come out somewhere. how does that play out in terms of uh, individuals who have businesses and, and, and provide services? So I know personally, I have uh, I've been in business 15 years and I could do you a list of customers I shouldn't have worked with. <laughs> um, just, as well, just as well as I could do a, a list of customers that you know, I love still and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's not something that I think as, as individual coaches or consultants or even individual business owners, we, we always think about. And certainly one of the things I sort of teach is how to be really clear about who our customers uh, are and, and how to say no to, to those people that shouldn't be our customers, if you like. But mm-hmm. can we use these principles in marketing and attracting customers and making sure that they're, they're the right people for us to deliver a service to? I think there is one step before that because I coach a lot of coaches as well and often they are struggling with finding their niche and they want to get it right so much that it's really professional and they target everyone and then they create the the ideal customer avatar and things like that. But I said, listen, first find your own niche which makes you unique and probably your niche is the biggest challenge that you manage to overcome. Mm. Start with that because that makes you unique and nobody can be better at your background and your challenges than you. Mm. Now add the skills to it, your knowledge and experience. And if you can talk about that frustration and pain in a way that it connects with people and they understand, wow, that's exactly how I feel. You've been there, fantastic. And you are out. Then can you help me? Can you speed up this process? And that's what they pay for. Mm. Mm. And then if you can build up that niche, then we can expand. But that makes you unique and, and genuine. So I think this is what's missing from a lot of coaches, that they, they think about the customers who they want to target instead of the problem that they are solving. Yes. They're proud of the tools they have. And, you know, I have a tool. I created it, Global Disk. But I always tell people, listen, this is just a tool. The uncommon mindset is what unites us. But the customers are interested in the problem that you solve. Mm. If that's clear enough, and you can describe it in a way that they, they, they know that you know exactly what you're talking about, then they're going to listen to you, not until then. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good uh, point about um, that whole thing around the, the problem, the pain. It's, it's so often 
not what uh, people who are starting a business think about. And I mean, that takes us full circle to the beginning of our conversation where you said that's how your business yeah. uh, was born in the first place. Um, yeah. So, so what about you personally and, and what your sort of work looks like? Um, how, how do your days play out and, and how much is that different to 15 years ago or, or however, 16 years ago, I think you said when you, you first started? It's completely different now, <laughs> but you know, I really love it because there's an overlap between professional and personal life because I really love what I'm doing. So it doesn't matter if it's weekend or late at night. If you enjoy what you're doing, that's, that's easy and that recharges me. Yes. So it's really different. And how do you make sure you get done what you get done? And I don't know what that, that, uh, those tasks are. <laughs> you said that you work with a number of um, other coaches and you said you, uh, I think you license what you do. So yeah. you're working with people closely, but then you've got a, a sort of um, team of, I don't know if we call them associates, but you know, people that you're working with that aren't directly under your control, as it were. How, how does that work? So there are two sides to the business. One is corporate training and coaching. That's around 20%. And then 80% is certifying coaches and trainers. So that means that they go through a certification process. They get an ICF accredited paper, qualification, and also a business in a box. So they get their own online portal, uh, a portfolio of multi-world winning solutions, four gigabytes of training material, sales and marketing material. So they can focus on what they are passionate about instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much a business in a box. We also have monthly meetups. Uh, we have our LinkedIn group where we can connect, where we can discuss everything because being a coach is a lonely journey. Even though we talk to a lot of people, they often assume that, oh, you don't have a problem, you're a coach. That's not exactly true. But the problem is not when people don't know about something, but when they think that they do. So mm -hmm. it's difficult to cut through the noise. Even if you just look at the name Global Disc, then a lot of people recognize the name Disc and, oh yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, you know what Disc is, you have no idea what Global Disc is because it has the 50% that's missing from all the other standard disc assessments. And it's difficult to go against the perception. And also when you talk about cultural intelligence, then a lot of companies assume that if they don't work internationally, they don't need it, so they dismiss it. But once they realize that if they have more than one person in a team, it's already multicultural, even if it's not international. And an average team loses 79% of the potential because of the interaction gap. Then now we have a conversation. But first we have to be able to facilitate the conversation then create that kind of awareness. So I do a lot of conferences, lots of meetings, and just to talk about it. Mm. to build the awareness because often people get used to the pain so much that they don't feel it anymore and they don't realize that the damage is being done they got used to it it doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore so in, in these days of um a global pandemic <laughs> where we're as you say all working from home we're sort of six months in we're recording this in middle of um september have you seen a difference in people's sort of um activity and work globally so for me I've, i feel like my work has become more sort of global i've got i've got students in australia who i wasn't working with before for example and so um daily i'm i'm talking to the world seemingly <laughs> um, and it just feels a lot easier now is that how it feels for you as well or have you not seen too much of a change I mean, i guess you 
you were my mind changed just as the pandemic was um sort of starting so it was a bit of a step change but your your business outlook was this already sort of thing Has, have you seen people getting more global in their in their view now we're working from home and able to talk to anybody anywhere not exactly because the business was online anyway and i traveled a lot yeah. doing lots of workshops everywhere so that that's pretty normal what i noticed was that people appreciate things that they used to take for granted yes like seeing a face and, and being close to someone getting a personal email uh-huh. yeah. and the other thing is that when we had this meeting in january the pandemic started then my prediction was that lots of country-specific interculture models are going to struggle First of all, people are not going to travel. Secondly, when they have to work online individually, then they have to realize that they are not statistically average nationals at all. So when you talk to someone in Australia, maybe deep inside that person is much closer to you on the cognitive level in terms of the underlying ways and drivers than your neighbor or maybe your daughter. Mm -hmm. And that changes everything. Because already more than 80% of cultural differences exist within countries, not between them. Yes. And that means that we have much more experience than we realize. The problem is the language. That let's say that if you have an argument with your daughter, for example, then you, know, you just can't believe that you talk about the same situation. Your perspective is so different. Then you know, maybe you would label it as personal differences. But if the exact same situation happens with someone from a different country, you might label it as cultural differences. Mm, mm. On the cognitive level, that was exactly the same thing. Yes. And that's the problem, that instead of pointing out statistically average national differences to widen the gap, we should be the common ground first. And then we can learn how to make the most of our differences. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's making me laugh. One of my first students in Australia turned out to be a Liverpool football club supporter, just like my... Uh, family <laughs> so, so diversity attracting people <laughs> as it turned out he did actually come from liverpool he just happens to live in australia now so <laughs> but yes it's uh, interesting uh, so thinking about um how you get the job done you said you you know you traveled a lot before we've already said that we're we're talking online uh, a lot more and I, I said before we started that i don't um, have the video on when I interview on the podcast uh, and I never used to even have the video on to say hello before but since lockdown it's been um, it's been interesting that uh, most of the calls have involved the video because I guess we're all so much more used to it but you pointed out that we're you know we're, we're not seeing as many faces so perhaps that's sort of part of of the reason for it I, I read something the other day as well that it said you know we're all finishing our sentence uh, our emails with things like you know stay safe and <laughs> And I say, when we first started, it was like the emails where you'd normally sort of go, hope you're well, and then you just go off with your sort of business question. Whereas uh, we started to get little email flurries of, yes, I'm fine. How are you doing? This is what's happening at our end. And you'd have a much more of a conversation even by email than we ever normally have. So uh, things are sort of changing, I guess. So how how are you working now um, with your team and with your, your customers and, and what sort of... Um, uh, tools are you using? How are you uh, doing what you need to do from where you are now? As most of the business is online, it, it makes it easier. So, you know, living on the phone and laptop and tablets constantly. So that, yeah. that makes it easier. Yes. But otherwise, it, it's not much more difficult, to be honest. We can get things done. 
I try to find the routine because especially when you work at home, it's difficult to find the routine. And, and this is what I noticed that a lot of people are struggling with this now. Yes. So for example, what you described that we are much more isolated now, but at the same time, we are much more connected as well. Yes. Despite that, and we learn how to appreciate these things. But when people had to work at home, then I think a lot of them faced a new challenge, how to manage and lead themselves. Because when you go to work, then you can be distracted with your colleagues and your boss and, you know, so many things happening. We don't pay attention to ourselves. But then when you have to wake up in the morning, you have to start work at eight or nine and nobody's there to watch you, especially when you're an entrepreneur or coach or trainer. That's difficult. That's Mm -hmm. discipline. You have to create your own routine. Mm. Otherwise, it goes wrong. Because if you give yourself more time to do something, then that's the exact deadline. You're going to fill up the space. Yes, absolutely. So, we were emailing. um, I I didn't send my reminder about today until really late last night. And you actually replied (laughs) and uh, said, uh, clearly, you don't sleep much either. But my response (laughs) to you was, I do, but just at funny times of the day. And uh, it's it's interesting. because I've got such a topsy-turvy way of working, I'm quite aware of it and sort of think about it and work on it quite a lot. But as you say, I think if you, and I know when I started, you know, 15 years ago, I sort of imagined it was a nine to five thing or, a, you know, eight mm-hmm. to six or whatever, eight to eight, you know, what I'd been doing in corporate. And I think a lot of us automatically do that to begin with, just sort of try and emulate what we're used to at home. But as you said, you know, going back to, talking about management from you know the fact that we're teaching management that was sort of theories from 20 30 40 years ago it's a bit like that or has been a bit like that with working and now people are having to work differently I think it's a a bit of a learning process for a lot of people isn't it it is because the world is changing so we have to be much more flexible Mm. and to me that goes back to the same topic the mindset the the self-inclusion because if you don't know who you are then then you you need external approval to top up your self-esteem. And that's a really fragile place. But mm-hmm. when you know exactly who you are, what you stand for, and you can trust yourself, then you don't have to bully anyone to feel important. You don't have to hide to feel safe. We can disagree. And I don't think I'm, I'm less just because I'm wrong. I'm more motivated by finding a solution, an even better way of doing something. And how many people spent an hour with themselves in the last six months, for example, or before that? Because we have a coffee with everyone. But when was the last time that you had a coffee with yourself? Yeah. Not reading a book, not watching a TV, but just thinking about what you want. What's the vision for the future? Yeah. And most of us haven't done it for long. And it's an interesting question. Because mm. I don't know where I read it. I don't know if it was a graffiti or something else that... Most people don't need a therapy. They need clarity. Because if you have that, then you are not lost. You know exactly what you're doing and why. Yes. You have to know exactly what you want and why. How you get there, that's a different story. Often that's not up to us. Our responsibility is to carry on and not to give up. Then we get it. If you know what you want and why. The how is a fluffy topic in the middle? That, that can be messy. Yeah. But there's always a solution. It's interesting as well, as you say, that whole being more connected than we were because of the nature of the world that we're in at the moment. But also thinking about that piece you've just said about being on your own. I 
have hardly been on my own for six months now <laughs> because you know my husband works from home until last week my daughter was at home and my mother-in-law lives next door um and I used to spend a lot of time on my own and it's sort of um there's like a dichotomy of the of the sort of pandemic and the lockdown because some people have felt really isolated and yet at the same time other people have not had any time to be on their own at all because there's just so many people around yeah. and I hadn't really thought about it in that way and I suppose I, I'm slightly biased because I'm used to online working and I'm just pleased everyone's come to my space now <laughs> and I don't have to leave the house anymore <laughs> which is not everyone's view I know but um, it's interesting how the same the same sort of um, challenge becomes different consequences to different people that's exactly why we talk about uncommon mindset because usually the question that i ask is that you know have you had the feeling when you were talking to someone that the other person had no common sense at all they just didn't get you mm. and most people would say yeah of course especially if they cannot choose who they interact with but i said have you ever thought about the fact that they felt the same way about you but for a different reason mm. the level of pain and frustration is the same the reason is different but we never think about that no and to me, this is the uncommon mindset to see the same situation from different perspectives because we believe that we are right. I mean, that's the basic principle that people do what they consider right based on what they consider true mm. to get the best possible outcome they think they can get. Mm. It's all about our values and beliefs and psychological needs. But these are the, the 95% of underlying values and drivers that we don't know about because they don't teach you that school. No. So we have to focus on that. This is the blueprint. Because it doesn't matter how much you reflect on how to say goodnight in Russian if you don't speak Russian. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. We can, we can reflect on our problems, the symptoms, but it's going to be difficult to find the root cause if you don't know about those concepts. Mm. So, for example, even in the book, The Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times, the last chapter is face your demons or you become one. And that's exactly about this. But it's not pleasant. Personal development feels like a slap in the face. But that's the foundation. That makes it sustainable. There's no shortcuts. So, a question. So, I, I often think that I'm... Um, well, it depends on my perspective on the day. I sometimes am very good at seeing, I think both sides or, or different sides of the same thing. So I'm often the person who like, I don't know, my daughter will come home and there's been some issue at school and I'll try and give her some other perspectives of the same thing. And of course she hates that and has a go at me, stomps off and that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> um, but then other times I think when presented with a situation, I'm really indecisive or I can appear to be really indecisive because I, I haven't got a, a black and white opinion on it because I know there's always grey, yeah. which, as I say, on a good day, I think is a positive. On another day, I think makes me a bit flip-floppy. <laughs> well, we'll discuss. <laughs> I don't know if that's the real problem that you don't know if it's black and white. And on other days, you think that it is black and white. If you think about it, it's an illusion of certainty. Certainty doesn't exist in nature, but this is something that we crave. Yes. And then to me, this is the interesting part that whatever we consider right and true, and you do your best, you never know if you're right or wrong. No. I mean, just think about it. When we do the coaching, 
And then we, see, we talk about um, one of these underlying values and drivers that do you take risks or you don't because you have to be cautious. You know, do you think long-term or short-term? And whichever is your preference, it's going to affect how you interact with others and how you feel about different events. And one of these metaphors, for example, is the hourglass. You know, that's a symbol of life. Mm-hmm. When you have the sand on the top and then it's trickling down and you know exactly how much is gone. Yeah. So it looks like, wow, that's exactly the, the metaphor of life. That's not true at all. If you want to make it more realistic, then you cover the top half. You have no idea how much you have left. You know exactly how much is gone. You don't know how much you have left. You don't see the top half. No. So there's no point in arguing about these things because you never know who is right or wrong. <laughs> but that preference is going to determine what you do and how it's going to feel. Because if you have a lot of need for certainty and then you interact with someone who has a lot of need for variety, which is the exact opposite of that sliding scale, then there's going to be huge tension because the perception is going to be that 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 person is going to see you as maybe too cautious and maybe coward and too slow, too meticulous. And you would see the other person as somebody who's reckless and dangerous. And you just don't want to hang out with those people because it feels wrong. Uh But once you understand that that's the person who can get you going because on your own, maybe you, you wouldn't be brave enough. And also that the other person can understand that you are the one who can notice problems and you can, pull the person back to the earth, then you can create synergy. And you realize that at the end of the day, you want the same thing. You want an amazing life. The difference is not there, but the way you consider right to get there. Mm. Not what is right or true, what you consider right. Yes. But at the end of the day, you want the same thing. And also, you don't know who is right or wrong. No. <laughs> yes. No, yes. Well, <laughs> <I> agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> so this is not common mindset. It's not about telling people what to think. It's about helping them think. Yes. And just to challenge the status quo and for the right reasons and, and, and some of those outdated and incomplete ideas because, you know, we repeat this narrative so many times in our head that at the end we believe it, but mm. it doesn't make it true. So the question to ask, is there an even better way of doing things on a personal and team level? Yeah. Then it's not scary. Nobody wants to hear that, oh, you have to change. Ooh, technically what I heard that I'm not good enough. How dare you? (laughs) We don't like that. But can I upgrade myself? Can I level up? Can I be even better? Just like in the German language, the highest level of praise is when they don't criticize you. So what if the highest level of growth is when you stop wasting your potential, when you stop wasting opportunities and time and energy? And the two main reasons are friction with people who think and behave differently. And the other one is friction with ourselves, self-sabotage. Yeah. So let's focus on those. So we can achieve much more with the same amount of energy. That is power to live more. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So just last few questions. So firstly, what about yourself and your improving yourself, your learning and improving yourself? You've just said you've done another qualification. <laughs> what other ways do you keep moving? 
Yes, so I wanted to do something new because I'm building a business and I need strong foundation. So I did an executive MBA. But even though I know that I'm not going to use 90% of what I learned, but it was something different. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to push me out of the comfort zone. Yes. And that's the key. But you know, when you tell people to, oh, get out of your comfort zone, it's like, oh, go against nature. (laughs) You know, it's not normal. Our brain wasn't designed for that. It was designed to keep us safe and efficient. Yes. It was designed to keep us in the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And there's this illusion of certainty and safety there. Mm-hmm. And we have to get out because real safety and real certainty is that the more we are, the more we know, the safer we are, the more skills we have. That's the only way. So this is what I do. I, I watch podcasts, I listen to them, reading books, definitely. Yeah. Writing it's, books. <laughs> writing books yeah I've got a lot to say <laughs> <laughs> brilliant so last two questions then so firstly what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong where you've not had a great day how do you deal with that it depends on how important it is because you know we have two options do you power through and no matter what you want to do it mm-hmm. if it's needed yes you can or you give yourself the permission to say you know what this is a bad day and you take it easy yeah so is it about giving up or letting go? There, there's a fine distinction there. Mm, I like that. I don't consider it as giving up because sometimes there's no point in pushing on. You just say, okay, today is a bad day. Let's do something else. There's no point in powering through. It's yeah. like when you're really tired, yeah, but I have to work. No, sleep half an hour and then carry on. Yes. It doesn't make you a hero if you power through. Of nice. course, there are some situations when you have to. But most of the time, we don't. Mm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, I like that. Thank you. And then finally, what about those days where you get to live more? And that's where I talk about getting to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? When it's a really good day, then usually that's spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Because we can plan everything, but the best things happen, I think, just randomly. Yeah. And that's why it's good to have a fiancé who is really active and she really wants to do everything. And even though I don't feel like it, I know that I'm going to like it later on. <laughs> so that helps a lot. <laughs> yes, no, that's good. I have a, a friend who lives opposite and uh, we regularly send each other texts going, well, that was a good spontaneous get-together where <laughs> it, we just found 20 minutes of a gap somewhere and managed to have a coffee or a glass of wine yep. or something. They always seem better, don't they? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> lovely. So thank you, Trevor. So lovely to speak to you today. And um, tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch. The website is called icq.global. And if somebody is passionate about this topic, then I'm more than happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. That's the best way of doing it. Lovely. And also the book, which is not not a book to tell people what to think, but to help them think. And it comes with 500 pounds worth of resources. And that's an investment in that relationship. They get the assessment and interactive learning platform and even a certificate at the end, because it is a journey. It doesn't matter how good a book is, information doesn't lead to transformation. So I want to facilitate that journey. Yes. People learn from experience. And the book title? Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times. Such a great title. <laughs> Thank great you. Timely. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are you a home-based coach or consultant feeling like you need a bit of help? 
Our Power to Live More Calm membership is designed to meet you where you're at with the help you need in the moment so you can get unstuck, move forwards and get stuff done. You might think this sounds too good to be true or maybe wondering how it fit with how you work and run your business. Why not have a no obligation chat with Jo to see how she can help you? All you need to do is go to powertolivemore.com slash calm call. Use your power to live more.